Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Borough podcast here on the Borough Reviews Network. My name is Jared, and today we've got a great show for you. A lot of exciting news to come out this week. I'm particularly excited to talk about Martin Scorsese's thoughts a little later in the episode on Pearl. And then we also have interesting leaks that happened over the over the course of the last week with Grand Theft Auto at Rockstar um, that I want to dive into Um More importantly, I do want to plug real quick, we have our Better Call Saul uh, video essay, actually, um, right now out on YouTube. And so far, it's been getting really good traction. I'm I'm actually quite surprised at how many people have been commenting and kind of the engagement that I've gotten with that video. So if you want to see more video essays, feel free to tweet at us, let us know, um, and then tell us what you want from those videos particularly. Uh, I have a couple ideas in mind for... Halloween and the Halloween season, but if you have any, please, uh, by all means, share them. Uh, Also on the show today, we have a new uh, guest, uh, and that's exciting for a couple of different reasons. I've been trying to like ask all my friends to come on the podcast and like talk about different things. Scheduling conflicts aside, um, I've always just been interested in hearing other people's perspectives. And today, uh, we have Megan on the podcast. So Megan, uh, you're new to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Megan Hancock, a fellow uh, film and TV lover and friend of Jared and the Bro. I'm in IT. I've been loving uh, TV and film ever since I was itty bitty. And uh, I just absolutely love having conversations with people just to try to engage. And like, I'm one of those people that watches a movie and then like reads like 20 people's review of that same movie after I've already seen it. I have to ask you, uh, so you're watching House of the Dragon and uh, Rings of Power right now. And I know like there's actually surprisingly a decent amount of overlap and viewership between the two. A lot of people bouncing back and forth. I haven't started rings of power yet personally um and i know that i'll probably get a lot of heat for saying that uh but i hear i hear mixed things about both um in your opinion like what would you if you had to like pick one show to watch for the rest of its season like which one are you picking Oof. okay so i would just say that i feel like house of the dragon definitely like it, it got its message and where it was going and like the writing just showed how strong it was like right out of the gate So I definitely, I I mean, I think I had mentioned to you offline uh, that I think it's somewhat of a detriment to Rings of Power that they're coming like fairly concurrently. Um, They obviously have drastically different feels, I would say. Um, I honestly really liked the first two episodes. I'm kind of just like, there's like this weird purgatory. I feel like the last, what, two or three of Haddison where we're just like, okay, like I get it. Love the setup. Looks, Mm -hmm. it looks fucking gorgeous you know, but there's just not quite the same amount of, like, drama and character motivation that's, like, laid down. Um, I know there's already, like, there's there's hate on it for, like, really stupid reasons. I think, like, it's not, like, totally worth a watch, but there I do have a few issues with just, like, all right, let's, let's get going, guys. <laughs> we know cool names, cool worlds, but let's, let's get us invested in the people that you're presenting to us. Yeah. So. Well, and so that's what I love about House of the Dragon right now. You know, I'm doing little like little short reviews on like YouTube and TikTok and whatnot, but uh, I haven't like actually been able to talk about it like long form. And one of the things that I really like, it's so different from Game of Thrones in the sense that you were following all these different houses and all these different characters, and it feels very refined like to one family here. And I, I think that's working really well within the context of the story and kind of how you're attached to it. 
and on rings of power it seems like it's doing that kind of thing where it's a little bit more broad and i'm almost wondering if you know in contrast to each other if that's some of the reason why you don't feel as attached to rings of power but that being said, you know, it was funny. You had Game of Thrones, uh, House of the Dragon come out and everyone's like, oh, it's the most expensive show ever. We're talking like $20 million right. an episode. <laughs> and then Rings of Power comes out like a week later and it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we spent uh, almost double what you did. Um, so I, I think that's funny too. It's a whole conversation of like, maybe, you know, in the context of your perspective, like, did they need to spend that much money on it? Uh, if if you're not as invested? Right. I mean, and like, when you look at it, you're like, oh, my God, like, like, you can see that, like, not no money went into this show, for sure. Like, it was definitely invested in. I just, unfortunately, and this is just my, perhaps the cynical side of me uh, that loves art and not the commodity of it. But it was just like, oh, we have to like spread this out as long as we can so like I said like intro episodes honestly I thought was like a decent start but then they just started like kept adding and adding more people and I'm just like like could could love all these people truly but like you haven't given us enough time with them or like they have to like remind you it feels like oh yeah remember this guy you saw him we're gonna reiterate what we said about him before or we showed about him before with just like 10 seconds more of action and then blip to someone else so i don't know i i still think it could you know like show its true colors and really take get off the ground you know after all this setup but it does suck to kind of just still be waiting so yeah i'm gonna be really sad for the 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 actors on uh house of the dragon to leave this week i've gotten extremely attached so I know, I know, I have too, and I know we've talked about that like off camera too, off recording about about how much we love those actors and the fact that they're not going to be there anymore. It's really interesting, but that those two things alone seem to be like pretty much capturing everyone's attention, yeah. And everyone's like, I, I don't know, like you know, I expected I expected them both to be heavy hitters in the sense that you're going to have so many people, like so many eyes on them at all times. Right. However, like I wasn't anticipating the actual just takeover, even for something like Andor, which released yesterday, if you're listening to this, uh, the day the episode releases, like, yeah, sure, Andor has gotten some conversation, but even now, as Andor's coming out, I still am hearing more people talk about Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. So yeah. it really shows you that they're doing something right anyway over at Amazon Prime and HBO. Yeah, I was honestly so shocked with like how quickly, like after obviously season eight, RIP for what it could have been. Um, but like like everyone, like it just almost entirely faded out of the like cultural zeitgeist and conversation because everyone was just like, oh my God, like, you know, whatever. However many million people like signed that petition you know, um, but then like, just like came back, like it just like awakened in everybody what they loved about the first one in like a renewed way. And, you know, hopefully they will avoid some of the more dated pitfalls of Game of Thrones that have not aged well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just think that was like the resiliency. It was like, oh my God, no, I, I love it. You know, after everyone was like, oh no, it's dead to me. You know what I mean? It's like an ex, like, pay you up. I'm like, yes, here, House of the Dragon, let's go, you know? <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Well, uh, everyone, let's um, transition here into our actual news bit here. So I'm going to run down a few articles from a few different trades, and we're going to cover some of that. And then we're going to get into a discussion about 
how the festival circuit has treated female directors, writers, producers, etc. All that coming next. If you would like to support our show, consider joining the crew by subscribing to our Patreon. Every dollar counts towards commission for our contributors and improving our network. Membership to our Patreon grants you different perks depending on which part of the crew you opt into. If you're someone who likes behind-the-scenes content, our director's crew has access to a close friends group on Instagram, as well as a special Discord server. Meanwhile, the producer's crew is gifted discounted merch codes and exclusive video discussions, reviews, and vlogs. And for the executive producers that go above and beyond, we send a little special care package their way to say thanks. Whether you're looking to gain access to early video content or listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Close Up with the Burr Reviews, you can find it all on our Patreon page. Membership is a critical metric that we use to indicate the success of our network, and we know that we can count on you for some support. Head over to patreon.com slash Reviews to sign up. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. This week's headlines are from Engadget, Variety, and Slashfilm. Jason Schreier of Bloomberg confirmed that the leaked footage of supposed GTA 6 content was in fact legitimate. A massive trove of footage from the next installment in Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto series has leaked online. On early Sunday morning, a hacker who goes by Teapot Uberhack uploaded 90 videos of a test build of Grand Theft Auto 6 to GTA forums. Since PC Gamer spotted the post, the clips have proliferated across YouTube and social media everywhere, although it is worth noting that Rockstar has issued DMCA takedowns for those videos. It's unclear how old this version of the game is in the leaked footage, but surely enough, Rockstar did put out a statement, quote, We recently suffered a network intrusion in which an unauthorized third party illegally accessed and downloaded confidential information from our systems, including early development footage for the next Grand Theft Auto. At this time, we do not anticipate any disruption to our live game service, nor any long-term effect on the development of our ongoing projects. The Golden Globes are returning to NBC in 2023, the network and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association announced on Tuesday. The ceremony will return to the Beverly Hilton in time for its 80th anniversary on Tuesday, January 10th at 8pm Eastern. The telecast will also be streamed live on Peacock. NBC declined to comment on the terms of the deal, including whether the show's $60 million license fee had been cut, but it's clear a renegotiation had taken place as NBC's new deal with the Globes is just a one-year agreement. The HFPA recently announced that it had added 103 new voters to its membership, which previously had dipped to around 80. The group added voters based out of the U.S. for the first time. The HFPA said the Globes' voting body voting pool is now quote, 52% female, 51.5% racially and ethnically diverse, with 19.5% Latinx, 12% Asian, 10% Black, and 10% Middle Eastern. In surprising news, legendary filmmaker Martin Scorsese is a big fan of Ty West Pearl. And that's right, we're talking about Mr. Martin Scorsese, accidental frontman in the, quote, is Marvel cinema debate. Here's what he had to say about it. 
Thai West movies have kind of an energy that is so rare these days, powered by a pure, undiluted love for cinema. You feel it in every frame. A prequel to X made in a diametrically opposed cinematic register. Think 50s scope color melodramas. Pearl makes for a wild, mesmerizing, deeply, and I mean deeply, disturbing 102 minutes. West and his muse and creative partner Mia Goth really know how to toy with their audience before they plunge the knife into our chest and start twisting. I was enthralled, then disturbed, then so unsettled that I had trouble getting to sleep, but I couldn't stop watching. Pearl is currently playing in theaters. Dr. Sleep director Mike Flanagan confirmed on Twitter that a planned sequel to his 2019 The Shining sequel is officially dead. Filmmaker cited the dismal box office performance of Dr. Sleep as the main reason why Warner Brothers isn't moving forward with The Shining prequel, focused on the character of Dick Halloran, played in the most recent iteration by Carl Lumbly. Flanagan wrote to Twitter, quote, I'll always regret this didn't happen. And finally, James Cameron has rejected Fox's Avatar notes by telling executives that he made Titanic. James Cameron revealed in a recent interview to the New York Times that he shut down 20th Century Fox executives when they tried to battle him over a key sequence in Avatar. Cameron rejected the studio's notes to make the film shorter and trim the movie's flying sequences by telling executives that he directed Titanic and thus paid for a large portion of the 20th Century Fox studio lot. Avatar is returning to theaters this weekend in IMAX and 3D formats, ahead of the upcoming release of Avatar The Way of Water, the long-awaited sequel that opens in theaters December 16th. And that concludes this week's news update. I know at this point you've heard us talk a lot about our website, theburrreviews.com, but I wanted to share some of the content you can expect from us in case you missed it. On our site, you'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, and even more content covering all types of cinema. If you're looking for a review of your latest project, we got you covered. Simply search theburrreviews.com in your web browser to find us. As a company residing in Nebraska, we know how hard it can be to get your message out to the world, and we want to help. Find our contact page on the website and fill out the form. There, you'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. Not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, but we welcome all types of motion pictures. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. All right, so the Center for uh, the Study of Women in Television and Film at the San Diego State University just came out with a recent report, and they put reports out, by the way, all the time. I remember being in one of my media classes. I want to say it was Media and Film, um, and it's a communications course um, at UNL. And one of the cool things that we did in that class was really break down some of those reports uh, from that specific uh, division at the San Diego University. And um, they, I mean, they literally do so much good work. It's not even funny because to sit there and try and comb through like all the submissions, uh, all the accepted films and to figure out who's working on those projects and really break all of those stats down. It's a huge feat. And I'm so glad that they're actually doing it. And this study is particularly important because you would think that 
post-2016, and we talk about this all the time, but post-2016, there really was a big push for inclusivity in film. And not necessarily the fact that you necessarily needed to meet quotas, but just the fact of, why don't we give more people opportunity to actually make these things, um, both in front of the camera, behind the camera, um, and also in, I mean, it's a huge topic of discussion, even for film criticism. Um, you know, who's reviewing what and who, who is actually getting that critic access to view these new media projects. Um, so it's really important. And what they've found is that indie female directors, uh, specifically, um, were basically like kind of shut out of the indie festival circuit at major festivals. Like you're talking like South by Southwest, you're talking AFI, you're talking the New York Film Festival, um, uh, Slam Dance, which I'm not familiar with. I've heard of it. And then there were like 17 other like festivals that they actually were talking about uh, in the report itself. So it kind of just it's a it's one of those you know situations that kind of trickle down if. A few of the big ones are kind of setting the stage for what's expected at these festivals. It trickles down to all of them. So no matter if it if it only started at South by Southwest, it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's South by Southwest. So the smaller circuits are going to look at that and go like, well, we obviously need to model our festival off of what they're doing. And so it kind of just goes back and forth. A couple of the things that I found really interesting in there, in that report, and uh by the way, no film school. Uh, who I love, I you know I read a lot of their stuff. Um, they're not technically like one of the bigger trades, but they do a lot of like writing about specific film cameras and editing and all that. So they're in the industry, but in a different way. They basically put out like um, just a summarization of the report. Just twenty one percent of the films in the major festival circuits that are supposed to be big festivals that are focused more on genre filmmaking, indie filmmaking, um, 21% of women comprised all of those projects. Uh, when you hear that figure alone, just the fact that it's literally only 21%, um, what are some of the things that you've seen from the circuits, from the bigger festivals like this that really like have an impact on on why that would be the case um i don't know i I think something that like stands out to me like and and it sucks right because like this is better than it used to be you know so obviously like i don't know like you think about like i feel like some of the 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 women who've become household names now in filmmaking like greta gerwig no sofia coppola and um gosh the the director of coda you know oscar winner mm-hmm. you know um like like that's like oh Chloe Zhao, one of my other favorites um like that's it's such a small percentage based on like you know i mean ha- like so many people that i know like go to the movies oh like oh because Guillermo del toro or, or martin scorsese or steven spielberg like like i want to see more of those household names and, and a lot of them got their start obviously in indie film and everything like i don't know i'm just mm-hmm. it, it it we need to do better um and uh yeah like it's it's such a good gateway um for the global audience to kind of turn its gaze on you know these other voices which should be highlighted and yeah it's yeah. it's a little disheartening right and so like one of the things that i found interesting in the article as well was the fact that when you're talking narrative there is a huge difference on the amount of women working on narrative films and the women working on like documentaries for instance um, now, why that would be the case, I have no idea, and I'm not privy to say why that would be. 
However, I just, you know, the the report points out that basically of the festival films that they like looked into, women comprise basically six narrative films to men's uh, 10 films that they had narratively. So you're talking like fiction films, um, biopics, anything like that. And then for documentaries, just cold hard docs that, you know, don't have any sort of fictionalization, um, it was pretty much equal, like split across the board is the fact that, you know, there's just less of an eye on them. So you don't care about necessarily who's attached to the project. Um, there is an inherent institutional like sexism that occurs when you're talking about um, who can do what project and how our brains like psychologically think about certain people. Because you hear like, oh, like, I don't know, Martin Scorsese's directing a film and a lot of people, um, and it, it's regardless of gender too, but a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that's that's really cool. And then you'll you'll bring up like like Chloe Zhao, or you'll bring up like Jane Campion, or you know all of these great female directors, and they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. So in a way, it's been passed down kind of this hierarchy of how things are working within the industry and and who gets what project, and uh, it's all a matter of capitalizing on um, some sort of box office or some sort of viewership, right? More right. people are going to turn out to see a Martin Scorsese because. Martin Scorsese at the time that Martin Scorsese became Martin Scorsese had more opportunity than any one of the female directors, you know, thereafter. And so it's, right. it's easy. And it kind of clicks this like nostalgia almost in your mind when you hear some about like, specifically with directors, uh, with some of the bigger names. And uh, I think that plays into a lot of it. Um, the other thing too, that I found really interesting was that between uh, 20, uh, 2021 and 2022, the number of female directors only increased by 1%. Uh, yeah. That was a figure that literally blew me away, just blew me away. I, I also thought the the documentary aspect was as well, like, is that also like a budget thing? Like, like, because they're lower budget, like people are more willing, quote unquote, you know, to, to take that risk, I guess, <laughs> the risk of having a, you know, women behind the, the camera on these things. Um, that, I don't know. I, I find that really interesting too, but I'm like glad it's more of an even split. Um, I, I hope that like, I don't know, just because there have been, you know, like more of these opportunities for women the last couple of years where people are like, oh, well, like now we do have those few household names. Like we're good. We're done. Like that's, you know, that's enough. I mean, think about how much of it too is probably like internalized, like, uh, you know, just from, you know, like uh, some of your like favorite, like old classic films were all like made and directed and written by men. You know, how much of that just like in like instinctually maybe like is even subconscious where we're like, oh, you know, like, yeah, like that's just that's just normal. And, you know, like, I don't know, we just need to kind of confront that that bias that's been just the, the precedent for so long. One yeah. percent the last two years. <laughs> right. And, you know. People might not think that it's as important because we're talking about specifically the festival circuits. Um, right. So we're not talking about, you know, what's coming out in theaters, although I would hate to see those figures too. They probably wouldn't be much better. <laughs> They'd be worse. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, but like, and people might, you know, wonder like, why are we even, why do we care about, you know, what's happening in the festival circuits with the indie festival circuits specifically? And it's like, okay, right. well, understand that when you go to submit your film for a festival, there's a lot of distributors that are there waiting to pick up your film, depending yeah. on on how that reaction to that film goes, right? You know, you might have a really solid premiere, 
on a film that literally no one heard of until the, until day of, right? And then you have this major distributor who comes in as like, no, I'll, I'll distribute your film for you. So now instead of you know having your film in like indie circuits, now you actually have a opportunity most of the time to at least do some type of limited theatrical like run with it. Um, and so it's it's important that we have women both in front of the camera and behind the camera working to make sure that the films and the representation within that uh, actually is able to be distributed, you know, I guess more than it would be had it not been like shown at, at a festival. Right. Right. Those, those sad statistics will continue to dilute, you know, as, as it gets farther and farther. And it's just a, yeah. And it's a constant like devolution to there within. So um, so yeah, that's, I just, I heard a couple of like people, like the comments for some of the things like in the actual article I saw earlier, or maybe it wasn't the comments, but I saw something, there was some other article that was like talking about, you know, well, why do we, why do we even care about what's going on at like at these critics associations or the festivals or whatever, like no one hears about it. No one needs to know about it. And that's kind of why it's like, well, once you get once you get your foot in the door, it's much, much easier to progress from there. And so that's why it's important to talk about things like this. I'm sure you're aware by now, but we have our own YouTube channel. We upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies, and even stream gaming content occasionally. We have a goal to reach 400 subscribers by the end of this year. Right now, we are about 300 subs away from reaching that goal. And if we hit this goal, we would like to celebrate by doing something special for our followers and we'll rely on you to help us decide what we end up doing. To find us, simply go to youtube.com slash Reviews. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a like and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications when we upload or go live. The Borough Reviews your movie refuge. All right, everyone, box office projection, you know, it's that time of the week. So last week, we should start off with The Woman King. So it debuted with a $19 million opening, which is higher than the forecast, which if you remember, it was 16 to 18 million. And that was kind of impressive. So just a couple of few key details here from Box Office Pro. That was 4% above 2017's Atomic Blonde. It was 12% above Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence. 71% above Annihilation, which no surprise there. Um, and then comparatively to other things that have come out in the recent years, um, so Where the Crawdads Sing, it was 10% above that, 41% above 2018's Peppermint, and 53% above 2018's Widows. And those are obviously all female-led projects, um, and it's important to consider those things when you're trying to analyze box office as this is a Viola Davis project. Um, but I was I was kind of shocked at the box office numbers, and just to kind of recap what everyone thought, 100% of our patrons said uh, that it would debut to 12 million. So they kind of lowballed it comparatively to what the box office forecast was. And then on Twitter, 50% said 10 million and 25% for both 16 and 12 million. So the people that guessed 16 million were closer to the mark there. This week, we have Don't Worry Darling. My prediction 
uh, is going to come in right at a crisp 32 million. I think it's going to be higher than the projections are saying it will be, which the projections right now, for those of you um, wondering, are anywhere between basically uh, 18 to 25 million. Um, and that's kind of the range that everyone's talking about right now. So I think it, it will hit a little higher than that. Our patrons said uh, currently right now 30 million. Um, I didn't put anything higher than 30 million on the poll on Patreon. And over on Twitter, we have a few different responses. We have it ranging anywhere from 18 to 30 million here for uh, Don't Worry Darling. And right now, 16% of people said 18 million, 32% of people said 22 million. 8% with 25 million. And then the winner is 30 million with 44% of the people chiming in over on Twitter there. Um, that's quite impressive that everyone everyone now thinks it's going to do better. Um, and so that's, I mean, it's not unheard of, I would say, but it definitely like puts into perspective the bubble that people in the industry often find themselves in with, um, you know, we follow the news on everything and like we're we're tracking these films sometimes for years at a time and so our perception on things are always skewed just a tad and i feel like this is a great example of our perception being skewed because if you go back and listen to me a few weeks ago i was saying that i don't think it's going to have the impact that it once could have and now i'm saying actually quite the opposite i think it'll do better than the projections um and so that's something worthy to note there uh but yeah we'll see what happens and then We'll be sure to tune in next week and talk about it. All right. And then a lot of exciting things coming your way this weekend for streaming and or uh, theatrical. Um, we have, for starters, a re-release of James Cameron's Avatar, uh, which I actually am very curious about. Like, I want to go see the re-release in 3D. Um, that was a film that, like... Up until that point, I had not really like cared for 3D very much. I mean, and I had seen like Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3D, and like you know, just kind of needless my kids um, things like that. I had seen in 3D. That was the first 3D project that like I actually like was like super like impressed by. Um, I don't know. Did you did you get the chance to see it in 3D at all? No, actually, uh, my first 3D movie was uh, last month when I saw Jaws. Um, and mm -hmm. I was enamored, even though like the most standout thing that was 3D was the end credits. But I was I was still in love. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest shit ever. <laughs> well, and th and this will be a little different too because you have uh, you, it was already released in 3D once. You know, Jaws obviously was never released in 3D. Right. So that that kind of transposition that has to happen when you're taking something from the 70s to 3D um, compared to when you're taking something from 2009 to 3D. That's a little right. a little different. And so I'm curious to see how that restoration actually looks in comparison to something like Jaws being released in 3D. Right. Well, and um, Avatar was like meant to be seen on the big right. screen. So the re-release yes. is just, I don't know. It's exciting with like the, you know, the way of the water trailer. I don't know. I feel like it's like adding to the hype, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They showed us uh, the way of the water trailer at CinemaCon and like, I just, I was so blown away by the footage. The amount of detail that goes into those water shots when he's like harnessing uh, the creature, yeah. that's like revolutionary like work, like actually. And the fact that they built all of these underwater like rigs um, for filming, like wow. it's just so impressive. It's such a technical feat that like, yeah, I almost do want to go see Avatar again in 3D just so I can like go into that movie this holiday, like completely ready for it. Right. Um, 
And then also we have uh, the infamous at this point, Don't Worry Darling, uh, <laughs> releasing, which I am curious because you and I had talked about this um, like a few days back, but like the amount of like controversy surrounding this movie may not have had the impact that everyone thought it was going to have in yeah. the sense that people are still talking about it. People are still excited for it. Uh, and do you think at this point that it will like actually probably blow up the box office a little bit more than we might've thought? Yeah. I think a lot of people like just from like good taste, given some of these like scandals and stuff like, Oh, surely this is going to hurt this performance. But I, I really don't think it's necessarily going to, I think the, the parasocial relationships that have fueled this tension will kind mm -hmm. of propel it forward. At least anecdotally, like everyone that I've talked to is like, Oh no, I'm still totally going to go see it. And I'm so excited, you know, yeah. like, and, and yeah, I, I'm really curious. Yeah. You know, there's that whole conversation about like the bubble that, that like people in the industry have when it comes to things like this. So all of us who follow the industry and really know the ins and outs of the industry itself are like, Oh, this is going to make or break. And then, you know, you go talk to someone on the street and they're like, I had no idea that was even happening. I'm excited for it. Like, what are you talking right. about? Like, and you're like, Oh, okay. Like, it's just me. Um, I had a little bit of that cause very early on in the controversy and, and I don't mean early on cause all of this kind of especially blew up at the end here. Um, yeah. but you know, like Venice film festival week, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, is this going to have a detrimental impact on it? And I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. I mean, but the cast behavior, I mean, like it's, uh, I don't know. It, I, surprising. Um, you'd, like I said, really think so, you know, like it didn't seem like anyone really enjoyed being mm -hmm. there, particularly everything felt so strained and contrived, but yeah, like everyone knows. So yeah well we'll we'll see we'll know <laughs> yeah. on sunday um <laughs> it's coming up fast damn we better see you in those polls <laughs> yes um and then so for tv and or streaming we have a, oh, so much stuff guys there's always so much stuff in this category a couple of things to note and or we have uh the season one premiere which they're dropping three episodes at once uh that is already out right now if you're listening to this so um go out and watch Andor. uh you had mentioned and i i didn't look at the rotten tomatoes score at all but you had mentioned that it was the highest of any of the star wars tv shows Last I took it's at eighty eight percent so far, and it has like an eight point three out of ten on IMDb. So wow, I don't know. I I feel like I've gotten burned. Obviously, like most of us grew up as like little kid prequel Star Wars fans, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and Obi Wan, I had I really had high hopes for it, but got a little like, oh man, like it started off so strong, and they like someone had some great ideas, and it just kind of like fizzled out at the end. Um, so I was like, I wasn't sure if I was going to tune in, but, um, that's honestly really exciting and I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably pick up the pieces of my heart off the floor and, and give it a try again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was excited from the get go. Um, and I've talked about it before, but just the amount of practicality that, that went into making Andor comparatively, not saying that everything that they shot was practical or anything like obviously yeah. a lot of the shots feel like they have some type of scope to them. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because they did film like on location for a lot of it as where, you know, for Mandalorian, even you're shooting partially on like this soundstage set. Um, now, a really advanced soundstage set. Yes. And one that is kind of breathtaking when you think about how they're they're working some of those shots like House of the Dragons using kind of the same technique as well. Um, so it's a relatively new technique that they're using for some of the scenes. 
uh, in those shows. But Andor has this sense of like scope and scale to it. And plus, Rogue One was my favorite, bar none, uh, of any of the new like tr- you know Star Wars mainline series um, yeah. like movies. So. For me, like Andor was always, I was always excited about it, regardless of what happens in Rogue One, you know? And clearly we know from just, I mean, just the past few years of prequels getting released that if you're going back to the beginning of something, it seems like people don't really mind that, you know? There was a long time there where it was like, uh, well, I already know what happens. Why do I need to watch that? And with Better Call Saul, with Andor, with like House of the Dragon, even like you're seeing that it doesn't matter as much as long as it's right. a good story. So. Well, yeah, I, mean, I feel like I mean, isn't that like some of the allure of like some of the like old Greek tragedies where they literally prophesy everything that's going to happen? But it's mm-hmm. that tension that just keeps you watching, just like oh, yep, check check that box off, you know, of what's about to happen. I don't know why I, I I find some of those like tragedies, you know, like the predicted ones just to be like, I don't know. It doesn't take away from me personally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Andor's a big one. You also have uh, Abbott Elementary season two premiering same day. So you can uh, watch that currently right now. You have a um, couple of things like over the weekend that are kind of smaller, but you know, people care about them. You have uh, new seasons of both Law and Order, Organized Crime, and Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Don't know how those shows are still going, but they are. I love them anyway. That's okay. Um, we can acknowledge when something's gone on too long, but still appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have The Simpsons season 34 premiere. Speaking of things that have been on for way too long. Um, So there's a lot in TV to kind of like watch. Uh, It's like almost ridiculous. You know, we talk about it all the time, but just the constant wave of things hitting streaming and, you know, network television simultaneously, both in film format and in television format. Like it's ridiculous and no one, no one can keep up with it. Like, I mean, it's so hard. And then you add in video games and you're like, wait, how am I going to fit in my 25 hour video game here that I need to finish, you know, while all of this is happening? Um, no big releases this week. Uh, however, there are a couple of things to note. You had mentioned that there is apparently a new trailer for FIFA 23, uh, which yeah. I don't follow FIFA at all. Uh, what what was unique about the the trailer? I, I don't play but I got so excited because IGN released the trailer and like so Ted Lasso and AFC Richmond will be like a playable like he'll be a playable manager and he'll be a playable like um team in career mode for, for FIFA 23 but that was like such a cool way of like capitalizing on its you know cultural significance and everything and I don't mm-hmm. know that's I thought it was hmm. really fun so that is and I, I like seeing that overlap happen too between you know all different media like I love it. It's like one of the things that like, I don't play Fortnite, but one of the reasons why Fortnite's so appealing, I think, because they do so much and they bring in so much from just media in general that like, it's hard not to tune in. Like when uh, I remember the first time that Fortnite really like captured my attention was the, and yes, I know. So you don't need to explain to me about the Travis Scott controversy, but when they did the Travis Scott concert in Fortnite, like that was super cool and like kind of revolutionary in terms of like breaking that barrier of what video games can do and can be. And uh, I really appreciated that. And it seems like this innovation is made its way out of Fortnite and has like kind of almost gone everywhere at this point, which, you know, and the more content that we get as gamers when we're paying $70 a pop for our games now, 
you know, I'm not going to complain. In fact, you should be doing it. So it's kind of the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, You have Beacon Pines, which is out on PS5, Xbox Series X and S, Switch um, and uh, Mac and PC as well. Uh, But it's a storybook adventure uh, from developer Hiding Spot. And they describe it as kind of the like a Winnie the Pooh meets Stranger Things. So that seems interesting. And then you also have No Place for Bravery, which is out on the Switch and on PC, which is a colorful, uh, gorgeous pixel art uh, that provides a lush and bloody backdrop uh, for a 2D action RPG from Glitch Factory. So that sounds awesome to me. Um, like the fact that you add in like pixel art into like a RPG that also has like kind of like these bloody like gory elements to it, really cool stuff. I've actually been following uh, Beacon Pines for a while because I like I have this like extreme need for like really intense like combat games and RPGs and dungeon crawlers, but then like I love that subgenre of like cozy games to just like unwind to, mm-hmm. and it's been on the cozy game radar for a while this week fine so it, to me that looked really cool so i'm yeah. excited for that one in particular yeah no it, they both sound really awesome and that's one of the things that i love doing about this segment specifically like i i love just bringing attention to things because like honestly before i had read this article a few days ago i had no idea about either of them and i get that like while i do game and while i'm kind of immersed in that kind of culture i'm not entirely like following everything that's happening all the time so um one of my favorite things about doing this is just the fact of like i discover things too as i you know tell everyone what they need to go do (laughs) with their time and i'm like oh maybe i should right i like routinely catch up on the like you know indie games to watch like our most requested indie games on steam and stuff that's how i found inscription which like Mm. if you guys have played like oh my gosh let me know your experience i like I, as soon as I finish, it's like multiple endings, and it's crazy because it's just like a deck builder game. It was nuts. Absolutely loved it. It was only available on my laptop, so I like like powered up my shitty little college laptop, and it was so worth it. So I was so glad I stumbled upon that one. So yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No. Uh, and then, like, what, what, I was going to say something about a game that I'm currently playing or trying. Oh, I was going to say Cyberpunk. Like, how could I forget? Um, oh, yeah. I am going to try and check out the new anime this weekend uh, just because, like, I was so interested and invested in what CD Projekt was doing with Cyberpunk. And the fact that you've seen the Steam count and the number of players, you know, go up exponentially from where it was, even just like, two months ago like is insane to me and a lot of it is releasing media in tandem and cd project kind of knows exactly how to do this because with the witcher the same thing happened right you release the show and then all of a sudden you have this flood of people coming back to the games and uh and same thing with cyberpunk so that's awesome um i'm definitely going to download the new update i heard it was like for console it was like some ridiculous like 20 gigabytes or something and don't like, don't quote me on that because I'm not certain if it was, but it was like a whole other game that you basically wow. have to download. So that's impressive in itself. So I'll probably check that out at some point if I can. But yeah, those are the things that you have to look forward to this weekend. So we didn't get a whole lot of time to talk about it in the intro, but I feel like we need to like go over like your passions of film and like what got you into it, your favorite projects, either, you know, from TV, uh, film, video games, any of it, like anything media related, 
like I want I want to get to know more and dive into kind of what you like and what you're about. So I guess let's start with like what what made you like fall in love with film and media to begin with? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a little bit of a rough home and I realized when I was really young that like, like movies and the things that I watched were such like a, like a good way for me to kind of get in touch with my emotions, what was going on, you know, with like my inner reality while also kind of like being like taken through the escapism of like really good storytelling, you know, and the spectacle of it all. You know, um, so I always found that like really helpful and it like it made me feel the most myself when I was like watching things. I was like, oh, like, you know, I'm not just a numb little bug right now, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, it was actually something I bonded with my dad over a lot. He took one film class and became the most suited tutor uh, to uh, show me Citizen Kane when I was like 10 or 12. Um, but I, yeah, it was the first movie where I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, does it have a happy ending? What the fuck? Um, but, uh, it left a huge impression on me, um, for sure. And here I am now 24 and and still fascinated with it. Um, I love like, especially over the course of my life, seeing how it's like affected me. Like one of my favorite icebreakers when I meet new people is like, what were like your formative movies? So be thinking of that for a second, you know, um, like what were your formative movies like that you watched maybe as a kid and you realized like you carried with you, like for the rest of your life, you know, like. For one of for me, one of them was like Kiki's delivery service, and like she's hardworking and she obsesses whatever about what everyone thinks of her and stuff all the time, which like unfortunately I've dealt with my whole life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and like, oh my god, and my husband makes fun of me for this all the time, but I loved Last Unicorn because like, you know, <laughs> I was like, I think I was like six or eight when I saw that, and I thought that was the shit because it was like it's like sad, you know, and it had everything that uh, Little Meg thought was the coolest um so yeah I don't know and I I I came into video games over the course of the pandemic and like I've just like I don't know like watching friends play especially like narrative stuff I do like I love you know like uh the life is strange shit for sure you know the Witcher 3 was my first true love though for sure for video games and I just found it fascinating like you now have like a like a an art medium that like like takes into account like a person's choice like each individual person's morality and experiences that they now get to play a part in like an active an active role of and just like the things you learn about yourself or other people or you know the things that each person gravitates towards I don't know I think that like my my love of film and tv just like is kind of I don't know my my quest to understand myself and the people around me which I find literally always fascinating um so yeah I think some of my absolute favorites and these are like movies that I think are fucking fantastic while also like have like like deep personal meaning for me like The Prestige I think that was the first movie I bought ever with like my my little credit card um when I when I finally got it for my first job and I was so excited it has like I've rewatched that movie like four or five times and each time I'm just like oh my god the magic trick of it all um which sounds juicy and ever after um which i haven't seen scream so scream fans don't come for me but it's my favorite drew barrymore role ever um i i absolutely love it um the shape of water i'm a huge um guillermo del toro stan crimson peak hands labyrinth um those are some of my absolute favorites uh the big sleep and knives out probably would wrap up my my top favorites 
And then for TV, I love community. I just think it's mm. it's so smart. With the exception of the gas leak year, I cannot make it through season four. It's, it's really rough. I just <laughs> skip it. I just skip to season five. Um, uh, I love MASH. I watched MASH whenever it was like, my mom would just have like the TV on when I was little. What was it like? Like TL, TNT, the old the old channels were playing. But like Waltons and Little House on the Prairie. But I thought MASH was hilarious um and then recently uh arcane i'm trying to get as many people as who will not tell me to shut the fuck up to please watch arcane because i'm just obsessed i think it's great i was like texting friends at like two in the morning i was like oh my god i just and like i stumbled upon it it was just like recommended for you you weirdo with my algorithm in netflix and uh, i've successfully gotten a few people to watch it jared i'm still waiting on you um, hey, now I've watched two. I have two episodes under my belt. I, I am going to keep going. I will get it there. Is, it is the thing I tell everyone and that I've heard from other people. Like, it picks up after the third episode. So, mm. listeners, please give it a chance to get through the third episode and then make your decision. Um, and then uh, Haunting a Blind Manor. I, I love Mike Flanagan's work and stuff like that. So, that was the one that left the biggest impression on me. But yeah, I think those are kind of like a sum of my favorites and why I love it and why I'm here um and now i'm so grateful to kind of have a chance to to get to talk to to you and other people you know um through our our interactivity on the podcast um because i don't know i've heard like like film and and tv and like that kind of like artistic viewpoint like like compared to like a striving game right like you know um just continuously contending with it and other people's opinions is just so like edifying in and of itself that yeah um Mm-hmm. I'm a fucking nerd and i just love it yeah well so the fun thing about all this is too like one of my favorite things that occurs sometimes is like disagreements and it's not even necessarily disagreements right but it's like right. everyone has their own thing and like yeah. to get to dissect someone else's like viewpoint on something that you don't necessarily you would have never even thought of right without talking right. to them uh it's been one of the, my favorite things like um like I, I would say everyone that has been a part of the borough thus far, like there's always been one thing that we just, we can't understand each <laughs> other on. We just can't yeah. do it. Like, and I, and I love to get into those discussions. They're like the most rewarding that you can have doing something like a podcast or doing something like, right. like what we do. So to your point, informative films, cause I know you had asked about it. Yes. Um, I think, so I've mentioned it a thousand times. I won't go into it, but, uh, my my love for genre came from Scream Two. It just did, not Scream, Scream Two, uh, <laughs> and I talk about it all the time. Um, so you can literally probably find it in almost every episode. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I think for me, when I like actually learned what like stars were, like what Hollywood was all about back in back when I was a youth. So obviously in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, look at these big stars and like look at look at all the things that are possible when you like when you tell a story that's so universally loved and weirdly enough like in my household one of those movies um was how to lose a guy in 10 days right i'm like oh my god <laughs> yeah. like look at these two leads right now like they're doing like and 
and it's not a film that I watch often. It's not even, I wouldn't say one of my favorite films necessarily, yeah. but it's just, it was when I started to kind of learn what films could be. And then right. you contrast that with like a Scream 2, which is a little bit more, I mean, Scream 2 is a little bit more artsy than something like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Right. Um, and then I just started like watching everything. Like, and I mean everything, like everything from, you know, Deep Blue Sea to, you know, action movies back to horror, like, and I just started, I think it trailed from, from those two movies, actually, weirdly enough, uh, Titanic was another one that I, that I watched all the time, but, um, I would say the one that, that really got me and, and my love for film was Scream 2. And then I just trickled into everything else. And the more you watch, the more you learn too. So like with Titanic, I was like, wow, there's so much, like, I didn't realize a, I didn't realize films could be that, that long, right. but B, it was also like how that story structure is split up because we have the the VHS box set, which is part one and part two, right? So right. it's like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. This is like, you're not doing three? No no three parts, two? Okay, like I can, I can be down with the play. Um, and like, so like, I think, you know, just it was, it was more so not tied to movies than it was just noticing how things were, were working within the industry how you could tell stories what stories could be and then with video games i mean video games were i would say like as far as like siblings go like video games were pretty big for me so i grew up on and i grew up on really basic stuff too so don't judge me here but i grew up on like your your call of duties um your you know your shooters basically your third person shooters halo was one that um that really was a communal experience, you know, back in the good old split screen days. Um, yeah. So when you would split screen, you know, a campaign with someone, right? Um, for Halo 3, for instance, was the first one that I think I remember like actually like playing all the way through. And then I went back to one and two. Um, but just that communal experience, I think I got that more so from video games than I did movies because yeah. movies, I was just in my room because no one else wanted to watch anything. So I was just in my yeah. room alone. And then I got, I got that communal experience with things like Halo and Call of Duty. And then Life is Strange to your point. Oh my God. Like I played the first one and I think that was the first time that a video game had just absolutely ripped my soul out of my body like i was depressed for weeks after playing that game (laughs) weeks like and i mean i'm not talking like just a little depression i was like bedridden almost is what it felt like and i know that's so dramatic but like true truly like i just like how you have all these different ways of telling stories and i i think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day for me is like how are you telling your story and why is it important or why can it be important? doesn't have to be, but, but why it might be, you know, and discovering that and discovering how people are uh, differentiating their stories and how they're making things like, and I think yeah. that applies to all mediums of, of, you know, when you're talking about entertainment. Well, I but, actually yeah. read an opinion piece to that point too, like recently with just like kind of like that oversaturation of, of content and like, you know, we gave you guys a short list of all the stuff that's coming out you know, just like how, I mean, more and more people are gravitating towards video games and like video games are, I feel like just expanding more and more on like that, Mm -hmm. that storytelling. What was the one that you got for your birthday? Uh, Like the House of Ash series and stuff like that. Uh, The one where like you, you play the different characters and you make the decisions. Oh, you're talking about the the quarry? You're talking about the quarry? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm talking about. 
yeah i love the quarry uh and interactive games like that are so fun too because you kind of just get to role play as many different people you know it has a different appeal than playing something where like you can customize your character entirely and you can you 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 can basically maneuver your own play styles and how you go about that story rather than something that puts you down and it's like no well here's the story we'll give you some agency but you're working within these confines right and like uh it's a bandersnatch episode but it's it's cooler because there's a timer (laughs) there is a timer and you know what like i'll press a button That makes it just a tad more interesting for me. Press a couple of them. You know, you have to tap a few times, unlike Bandersnatch. Uh, Right. But uh, I I, I just thought that was interesting that they were like, that they had noticed like a, like an uptick statistically of people gravitating mm -hmm. more towards, towards those games in particular, like as you feel like kind of overwhelmed by all these other stories that like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. the care, like at least for the ones that are out now, the care that goes into those, I'm about, I just downloaded as dusk falls, which I heard got really good reviews. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to see. And it's a similar, similar pattern to that. Yeah. But well, and also that's where the money is too. Like if you've noticed like where people are spending their money and like, what industries are worth these days, right? You're talking about the video game industry. In media and entertainment, it's the biggest industry there is. There's so much money. And that's why you see like everyone trying, like Amazon Prime and like basically every big company that you can think of is trying to dip their hands somehow into like video games and like gaming culture. Even if it's, even if we're just talking mobile games, everyone's trying to do it because there's just a ridiculous amount of money um, in that kind of field right now. And, so that can be a good and a bad thing. And I think we've seen both thus far. So we'll see how it trends over the next few years. I'm curious um, because everyone thought there was going to be a huge resurgence with people going back to the theaters um, over the summer. I can tell you working in a theater, I it was amazing to to watch our weekends go from, you know, no one there, empty theater, to all of yeah. a sudden Top Gun comes out and everyone and their mother literally is coming out to see Top Gun. And like, yeah. and they're still going. Um, but you know, then, you know, you've, you've thought you've had a couple big movies and they're not doing as much as you thought they were going to. Right. So, you know, I think we're in a very volatile point now where when we're talking about entertainment in general, it's, um, everything's working concurrently and it always has been right. But I think when you actually take a step back and you try and analyze like where the trends are moving, it's so interesting. Um, but I could I could go on for days about about how things are moving around and stuff. So uh, I just want to thank everyone uh, for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel free to share it. Uh, make sure you subscribe on all the podcast platforms. We should be on all the major networks. And also uh, check out our patron um, over on Patreon.com. We have a bunch of exclusive perks, little cool things that we're doing over there that are a little bit more exclusive than you would get on our main channels. Um, and then Megan, thank you so much for coming on the episode. I'm so glad that you were actually able to make it on for once. Cause we, let me tell you, we've been talking about it for so long at this point (laughs) that I didn't think it was ever going to happen. And then now that we're here, I'm glad. And, uh, we'll have to have you back. Yeah. Honestly, same. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, well, that is it for today's episode, everyone. So, um, feel free to come back next week. We release every Thursday. Uh, And we're going to keep that going, but we'll at least have one episode a week, even if it's not on Thursday. So don't worry too much. And with all that down and out of the way, thank you so much and have a good weekend.